Selamat pagi and selamat Hari Raya Aidilfitri. Uh, that's how we say it in Malaysia and Singapore for the Eid celebration. Uh, and in Malaysia, festivities and the visiting continues to happen up to 30 days. So I'm kind of not too late with the with the wish. Uh, today, it's actually episode 34 of the Product Uncensored show. And I'm your host, uh, Colin Bell. For the regulars, thank you so much for being patient for this new episode. Um, I know I missed April. Uh, but April was actually quite a busy month for me. I was like changing jobs and everything. So I couldn't get an episode out and I sincerely apologize. Um, but yeah, so we're here and I have a great guest as well. So hopefully that makes up for it. Um, if you're new here, then, you know, I've got to do the standard, you know, intros, just so you know, our videos are on YouTube. And if you are watching now, then you know the drill, right? Don't just click on that subscribe button, but smash that bell notification icon so that every time something new comes up, you know, and also it makes it better for, for this show to get discovered as well. And also, yeah, share it with your friends too, that helps. Um, podcasts, we're available on all major podcasting platforms that should be showing up, I think, somewhere here. Um, and, you know, don't forget to follow as well if you're on those uh, platforms. Um, so far, our current most popular platform is um, actually Spotify. Um, and finally, if you want to support this show, uh, there will be a link in the description where you can voluntarily buy me a coffee. Um, and then if you don't, that's fine too. Okay, as usual, that's all I want to do on the intro side. Let's get down to introducing today's guest. Our guest today was previously the head of product at Grab. He's currently the chief product officer at SPH Media, one of the most prestigious media companies in Singapore. SPH stands for Singapore Press Holdings, if you're not clued in. Um, he is an avid photographer outside of work, and he's also quite the rocker, which we will cover at the end. So make sure you stay tuned until the end. He's none other than Gaurav Sachdeva. Welcome to the show, Gaurav. How are you doing? Hi, Colin. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And Salamat Hari Raya Aidil Pitri to you and all the listeners. <laughs> well, I, I don't celebrate it. so. <laughs> but yeah, the listeners, uh, we do have quite a few of our Muslim listeners. So yeah, yeah, I think for them, it's been great. Um, And in Malaysia, it's been the first time, I think, in three years that they're actually able to travel back for for the festivities so i think you know it's been quite the traffic jam um thankfully i wasn't i didn't contribute to it but um i think for them it's been really really tough so a lot of them have taken extended you know leaves just to go home and be with their loved ones yeah the last two and a half years have been crazy and you know people have longing to meet families and i'm so glad that all of this is becoming possible in southeast asia Uh, especially the connection between Singapore and Malaysia is really strong. Uh, we have people coming over to Singapore daily, working in JB, uh, yeah. which is a neighborhood um, in Malaysia. And um, it's just very, very, very grateful and very thankful. Yeah. And I think you you recently went went back to, to India as well, right? You were able to go that's back first true. time in two years or something as well. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so I'm very happy that people are able to reunite with their loved ones. Yeah, I know. I know. So hopefully, you know, I we will cover this a little bit later. You know, one of the things I'm hoping to pick your brain a little bit about is, you know, how did, you know, SPH go through the COVID era? Let, let's see whether we actually end up talking about it. But yeah, I mean, COVID has been tough on everyone. 
Um, so yeah, for 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 those of you who are still stuck or you know you're just not comfortable going out yet, you know, hang in there. Um, things are getting better, and of course, if you're not vaccinated, please go and get vaccinated before I reach out through this screen and I'll smash your head in. So anyway, <laughs> probably lost like you know, a few listeners, but anyway. <laughs> so so Gar, thanks thanks for coming on the show. Um, why why okay. don't you start by telling us a little bit more about yourself? Um, sure. Yeah, and how how you got into products, and then let's take it from there. All right. Um, let me start from the very beginning. Then um, I, um, I I'm a computer science major, so I did an engineering uh, B Tech in computer science and engineering long long ago. And um, at that time, there was this mad rush of people finishing their engineering degrees and going for MBAs. And I was like, I'm a non-conformist, right? So, <laughs> um, so I decided instead to uh, sit for my GREs and get those scores and thought that if I want to do well in computer science as an area, I should probably do a master's. Um, and uh, before all the results could materialize or I could you know, apply to the US, I got a job in a small startup at that point in time in the area of electronic design automation. So for the uninitiated, EDA is a space where, you know, we we write compilers and simulators so that chip design companies can uh, verify their designs much before um, the design actually gets printed on silicon. And printing on silicon is a batch process. So if so millions of chips get printed in one go, which means that if something goes wrong, then it goes in the entire batch and you have to recall and it's a huge cost to the organization. So that was a value proposition of the organization that I started working in. And there I, there I was sitting in the middle of all PhDs in electronics and I was a computer science guy. Um, <clears throat> that was both uh, intimidating, but also very inspiring. Um, it was inspiring because everybody realized the potential I had, which I didn't see in myself, but you know, some of my colleagues and bosses saw, and they inspired me to go for my master's, which actually gelled well with the path that I was charting out for myself. So mm -hmm. I started applying for scholarships and I got Commonwealth scholarship and ended up in Cambridge University uh, in an MPhil course, which was the preliminary step towards doing a PhD. Um, and lo and behold, that was in machine translation and natural <laughs> language processing. This is 2004, wow. by the way. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, this would have been quite a while back. So you're you're That's pretty right. much, you know, being a pioneer taking that at that time, right? That's right. So, in fact, some of the algorithms I used in, 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 in that time uh, for uh, pattern recognition or for supervised and unsupervised learning, um, include things like hidden Markov models, which are kind of passe now. And that is why, you know, in, in at that time, uh, it was still a research area. Um, um, I remember I had a tussle with my uh, supervisor. I wanted to do a PhD in sentiment analysis. And nobody had thought about sentiment analysis. We were just, you know, struggling with uh, creating proper question answering systems and uh, translators from one language into another language. Um, and so I decided, fine, let me just go back to the industry. And because I had emerged from uh, electronic design automation, I went and joined um, a much larger, much bigger company in that space called Synopsys. Synopsys mm -hmm. is based in Mountain View and uh, is 
probably the largest player in EDA domain. The other players being Mentor Graphics and Cadence. Uh, these are names that typically people in that industry have heard. Um, and I had a great time. I'm um, um, not only as an engineer, but also as um, as a singer. As Colin, you were mentioning, um, I formed my first corporate rock band in Synopsis. <laughs> and we not only cracked um, uh, multi-threaded um, CPUs for our designs, but also cracked all marketing events in Bangalore, which is the Silicon Valley of India, um, visiting and doing corporate events for our for our company. And actually, that's what got me started. I was going from one organization to another. I was writing code for Texas Instruments and S3 Microelectronics, Intel, going and working on site with their engineers, trying to make their chips succeed. Um, but there was always this question, why am I doing this? Um, you know, what is the business value am I adding to the organization that I'm going and working with? And I think that intrigue or that curiosity uh, led me on the path of product management. By the way, until then, I did not know what product management was. Um, but as I knew seemingly that with almost everyone from from the same era as we did, right? Kind of nobody knew what that was, and lo and behold, we just stumbled into it. Right? That's right. The only thing I knew was that I needed to be at the cusp of business and customers. And um, if you have been an engineer for a very long time, like myself, for about five years or so, you kind of start getting typecasted. You know, when recruiters approach you, they mostly approach you with engineering roles only. Mm. Um, and so it, for me to break away from the engineering mindset and also this tag that I'm an electronics computer science guy, I decided to go and do an MBA. And post my MBA, um, I landed my first job in product management. Um, one of the reasons why I landed this job is because during my engineering internships, I had worked at Adobe um, in their innovation group. Um, and in like two, three weeks, uh, I had written a new product, which took um, a document, a Word document, from the doc, dot doc format to a dot PDF format without needing Microsoft Word installed on your machine. Nice. Um, at that point in time, um, you needed to have MS Word installed on your machine for Acrobat to talk to MS Word mm -hmm. and then re-engineer all the fonts and formatting uh, and layout of the document uh, to, so as to produce a PDF. So I really enjoyed that part. and. My supervisor at that time um, had ventured into product management. So I had, during my last uh, few, last semester of, um, of, of MBA, I had lots of conversations with industry experts. And when I expressed to them that I find myself being able to add value in the technology domain, uh, they all recommended that, hey, there's this new emerging area called PM. Why don't you try that out? And I ended up in Adobe and I became product manager for Creative Suite. Uh, we shipped two versions, 5.5 and 6. And then Instagram got, in, got acquired by Facebook for a billion dollars. And that ran a chill down everybody's fine. <laughs> that what people start editing their images, not on Photoshop, yeah. but on Instagram. The entire cash cow business, which is Acrobat and Creative Suite, Photoshop, will come crashing down. 
Mm. Um, so that was really my venture uh, or introduction into the into product management, and I uh, did a lot of work. Uh, you know, we literally together invented the Creative Cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and for you know your listeners who uh, are designers or from creative uh, agencies or even product managers, if you use Creative Cloud, the app that sits on your desktop or on your uh, mobile phone is really my baby. So that was my beginning in area of product management. Nice. I was just going to say that I was going to ask you about that because, um, yeah, my uh, I still I still have a subscription to the Creative Cloud. Uh, my wife uses it, so awesome. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. I'll let I'll make sure I'll let my wife know afterwards. Hey, by the way, that that Creative Suite that you're using on your desktop, I just interviewed the guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, you got into product management then, and then after that, you obviously went to Autodesk um, and then that's where it gets interesting because after that you went to Grab. So you were head of product for growth at Grab. Um, You were there for two years. And then after that, you ended up in SPH, um, Singapore Press Holdings. So first question is, first question is, um, so um, your time at Autodesk, um, and I believe Autodesk is actually quite quite the huge organization, right? right. Um, and it's very enterprisey. So you jumping, taking this step to jump into head of product at Grab, and and this is like what 2016. So Grab right. would not be the behemoth that it was now. So I think when you joined, they were probably like what 400, 200. Yeah, the engineering, um, the engineering and product team was about fifty, and within two months I joined, it became hundred. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's where that's where the the story that that I I want to hear your story is. So, first question is, what made you decide to jump from this really stable enterprise company and jump straight into this, you know, frying pan of startups? <laughs> Great question, actually. Uh, and in order for me to answer that question, you'll have to give me 30, 40 seconds more because I want to set the context of why this jump happened. Take your time. So you know that I was in Adobe, right? And yes. I, we had just, we had launched Creative Cloud mm-hmm. and that was the transition of Adobe from a desktop perpetual licensing yes. DVD based business to a SaaS model. Yes. Uh, it was um, in the software industry, uh, for the first time after Netflix that somebody had cracked uh, the subscription, subscription model well. Microsoft also had a subscription model for their um, uh, office suite, but they had both perpetual as well as subscription available. So, you know, users could choose. Mm. In the case of Adobe, they had taken the decision to kill the DVD business, the licensing that, you know, that 16-digit, 24-digit license key oh, that you had to I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was kind of unique. And um, and Adobe did really well. Um, and Autodesk saw this. Um, for Now, Adobe is in creative design and Autodesk is in engineering design. So most people know Autodesk by the AutoCAD line of products. But what most people don't know is that Adobe and Autodesk also compete on design software. So 3ds Max, Maya, Smoke, um, for 3D graphics as well as for film editing, compete with Adobe's Premiere Pro and so on and so forth. And in this, Autodesk also changed their strategy and wanted to move to subscription model. So that's how I got hired into Autodesk. 
um, to bring those principles, learnings, and inferences from product management side into Autodesk. The common thing between the two uh, was that not only were they competitors, but both were very large organizations. Um, and um, in case of Adobe, I was working out of India. Um, um, and so frequently chatting with strategy and the larger product team in the US. So I would change my time zones, um, you know, young and erratic ways of being. Um, and in case of uh, Autodesk, I was hired in Singapore. That's how I came to Singapore. And again, the teams uh, making decision-making teams used to be in the US. So I would either frequently travel there um, or um, you know, just switch my time zone to be in the same um, um, meeting time zone that mm. um, these organizations were. The one, another thing that was common is that decision-making was a bit slower and that uh, the distance that I had by being in Singapore, India uh, with the U.S. did not help. Um, you know, I had to like work 10 times harder to get the same impact as someone who was co-located uh, with, with the decision-making team, strategy teams there. Um, so both of these factors contributed towards me looking at, hey, that if, if I have to work 10 times harder, I might as well work in a startup. Um, <laughs> the good thing was that from both of these organizations, my trips to the US, to San Francisco, had exposed me to Uber. Yeah. I was probably amongst the first few riders of Uber share. Um, when um, they had, I remember they had launched a $7 promo. You could go anywhere in the Bay Area if you shared that ride with someone else. And Grab Taxi in Singapore was growing bigger and bigger. Um, and I knew that if Uber was an exciting uh, venture, um, then I'm sure Grab Taxi would be also knowing that they are growing in Malaysia as well as in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So I started conversations and that's how um, I landed in uh, in Grab, and uh, in two weeks at Grab, it felt like I've been here forever. <laughs> um, so that's how I ended up in a product role. So I was not head of products when I joined Grab. I was uh, a lead slash director, okay. um, and then in time, I grew uh, to into the head of product role at Grab. I see. I see. So, so just to just to push it a little bit more, right? So, you were saying that you know your first two weeks at Grab, you felt like you'd been there forever, right? What right. was the main thing that made it feel that way? Was it the was it the pace of work? Was it the right. the load of the work? You know, what was it that was such a difference between enterprise and you know enterprise software versus a startup? I. I think the very first thing that struck me was that the people were extremely motivated um, and that, that that level of self-initiative to get things done was tremendous. Mm. So, um, and I love that because I love working with smart people and um, in a week or two's time, I was able to, you know, clearly get a sense of how how deeply motivated and connected these folks are to delivering an outcome. Uh, that Grab was after was just uh, amazing. And that self-motivation that is very infectious. Yeah. So, you know, when you see your team around you all geared towards that goal, uh, you yourself also get self-motivated. So that was number one. 
Number two was that I realized that unlike a large organization where processes are set up, where roles are very well defined, um, here I was in a situation where there was nobody to tell me what I need to do, right? Um, and that discovery of the number of problems that we needed to solve for the product line that I was looking at um, was very exciting because um, I could just pick up any problem and start solving it. There was no dearth of issues and there was nobody stopping you that, hey, this is more important or this is more important. So your immediate application of being able to prioritize, making trade-offs, uh, what to go after, which relationships to build, which teams to have conversations with, how to how, how to just, you know, in, on your way to the office, talk to the drivers, ask about their pain points and, you know, better the driver side of that product. Mm. And um, in the early days when you are not corrupted uh, by the culture of an organization, even though it's a fast-paced organization, you could bring in a third person's passenger perspective and add value to the organization. Mm. The third thing was that the leadership leadership team was very open to listening to feedback. Um, they frequently um, had um, uh, connection sessions with the entire team in Grab. Maybe it was easier then because we were only 50 people uh, in mm -hmm. the technology. Um, and, um, and, 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 and the team was growing really fast. Like I told you, from 50 to 100, it really? just happened fairly quickly. But it was the commitment. You know, I, you would see Anthony Tan and Wheeling Tan, the co-founders, um, walking the talk. You would see them energetically moving them. And that is very inspirational. And I think that's that's what gets a, gets a startup um, to uh, focus on the end outcomes and be extremely motivated to deliver. So within two weeks, I had discovered problems that I needed to solve. We had uh, done some basic uh, product market validation uh, for some of the hypotheses we had. And if I were in Adobe or Grab, I would I would have just started writing my spec uh, in those first two weeks. Um, and here I was pretty much almost having validated and now talking to the business teams that, hey, here's a solution that you know together we can co-develop uh, here are a few hypotheses. Let's figure out how do we A-B test them. So that's why uh, those first two weeks, like I knew I had known more people in two weeks than I had ever before. The problem mm -hmm. that I had was I had to somehow keep their names in my mind. <laughs> yeah okay i i am horrible at names like really really bad like i can remember faces so i always tell people when i meet them for the first time like i do apologize i'm probably going to forget your name in 30 seconds <laughs> and you know they've got these like articles where they tell you how do you remember somebody's name you associate it with something at that point in time remember i've tried that it doesn't work so maybe i'm just i just have really bad short term memory <laughs> It's yeah. the same thing. It's very hard to remember names. Yeah, um, but coming back, but coming back to to what you mentioned, right? So the interesting question here is because you said when you joined Grab, it was almost like a sort of like a blank sheet, right? You you and you could really decide on the number of problems you could you know decide to go down the rabbit's hole and then you could decide okay these are some of the areas where I wanted to focus. So question right. the question here is how what was the 
what was the remit given to you when you joined? Or was it like literally like, okay, you're going to be, you know, growth and that's all we care about. You can start anywhere or and anyhow. And were they, you know, did they give you like some metrics to hit, some KPIs? You know, what was it that 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 you got when you started? Right. So like I said, um, I I didn't start with growth when I joined Grab. Okay. Actually, okay. Growth as a squad or a tribe or a tech family or a product family that we used to, you know, mm-hmm. that phrase we call use in 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 in, in Grab mm-hmm. uh, came out much later. When I came in. The problem that I was given was that of an internal tool, um, <clears throat> and which was also challenging for me because all this time I had been uh, building products which were extremely customer facing, um, like or Creative Suite or AutoCAD, where I would yeah. be on customer side talking to them and then bringing in uh, problems and requirements. Yeah. Here I was, I was supposed to make an internal tool, okay. but the power of that internal tool is that this if if anything went wrong with that internal tool then the decision making on how our drivers are doing what is our market share what is profitability per ride uh, what is driver utilization um, how 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 well uh, what is the roi of our um, promo codes that we are delivering uh, to get um, passengers to stick with our platform and not go to gojek mm. or to uber um that that was the impact um so i started with uh the that internal tool and within that internal tool as we were developing i also saw another gap in the organization the one good thing that a large organization does is that it instills in um in 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 all of its employees uh, this sense of talking to your users the sense mm. of talking to our customers more so in product so I used to spend a lot of time in Adobe and Autodesk talking to our customers, not only directly to them, but also spending time in the large customer support centers that these organizations typically have. And I used to get, you know, diamonds um, um, in, by just talking to agents. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that was, a, um, that, was, that, was, that was an ignored area, possibly because, you know, Grab was moving at such a high speed with primary metrics of market share and profitability of their rides, uh, that how, what our customer experience is when they call into our call centers was completely ignored. Mm. So I took that as an independent challenge, which nobody was expecting me to. My primary responsibility still was that internal tool. Yeah. Um, and and I, then I went into the customer support center. I started a program where every new employee and every product leader, in f- even the CEO and the co-founders, had to go through this onboarding of spending two hours in the customer support center, shadowing an agent and listening to their calls. So that mm. that empathy uh, for your user begins right there. When you yeah. hear that person calling and complaining that they are not able to use your uh, app or driver misbehaved, or you know the the car never came, <laughs> mm-hmm. or the driver took the longer ride, and how that you know agent who has not developed your product is fielding questions that you are better able to answer compared to them uh, mm-hmm. is very humbling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I connected our internal tool with our customer support tools, and we 
we made a lot of enhancements that was and nobody asked me to do that so that is where what i meant with that you know nobody would come and tell you where problems mm. exist you got if you discover a problem you got to prove that yes this is a problem worth solving you convince uh, the leadership team it becomes a priority and that happens really fast it's yeah. not like you know you go through six month cycles of uh, backlog grooming and um, business case creation and then somebody will give you a heads up okay then there'll be a next budget cycle in which some money will be given to you not like that so um, that's how that's that's how fast we moved and that's what that's what i love most mm-hmm. about grab yeah i think um one of the things now is actually um the fact that um you you get to listen to the customers and that and that's something that i also feel that is really important especially for product right one of the things that i always say is that um your team or your organization as a product manager you would feel the shortcomings and the failures when you listen to the frontliners because it is insane right you know um i used to work in a, a digital digital products company and you know we would sit down every once every few months to just listen and you know just just getting hammered right and you feel like oh my gosh so every time you fail these poor fellows get it first um and you know they they have to stay calm and stay composed and I'm like oh gosh so yeah that's always that was always the impetus to to always say yeah that's why we have to do better right so absolutely yeah fantastic okay um so so let's then cover a little bit more um about your then moving to sph because again so you're at this um, like like you were mentioning that it's like this rocket ship and then you suddenly decide to go to sph and sph like i've um uh, the listeners and viewers uh, sph is singapore press holdings which is a you know traditional print company media print company um and so yeah it it sounds almost antithetical of everything that you said that attracted you to grab and then you go back the other side so right so um colin by this time in grab um i have built many products i have started a new uh, product family of grab uh, of growth and um i'm will making product managers out of folks who are either in strategy or in operations so that entire concept of building product teams um had already materialized for me in grab um in march 2018 um grab completed the acquisition of uber's operations in southeast asia um so that entire focus that we had uh, about kicking uber out and you know being the market leader and winning southeast asia um my my life had come a full circle by that time okay um and so i was looking at what to do next you know push forward in the transportation business that grab had or um try and you know foray into the financial services aspects that grab was growing in which by by now has become really big so this is 2018 mm-hmm. um simultaneously some leaders uh, and you know some of those leaders um from sph um had reached out to me um about a chief product officer role um and when i started having those conversations first of all it was 
I was not interested. I was really moving forward to continue my career in Grab. But when I started talking, I realized uh, that there is a very huge opportunity in the role that SPH was offering. Number one, of course, was set up a product and design team from scratch, which is which any any product person would want to do as they grow in their career. You know, you um, in large organizations, you almost always inherit a product team or a design team. But here is an opportunity for you to create it from scratch and create it in such a way that it makes a difference to the organization. And the second thing was that more than the product and the technology challenge, it was a mindset challenge. Here was an organization which is which had been a monopoly um, and had done. Um, monop- media monopoly, and um, the and 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 had seen days where people would line up in front of their offices to put ads um, into the newspaper, and had seen and 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 was now seeing a decline in print circulation because most people were um, consuming their content and news and information from rather free sources, yeah. and had stopped subscribing to newspapers. For that organization to be moved into a digital future, I realized that this is not only technology, but you will have to get people to think differently. They they did not know what product management was. They knew they had experienced it with previous attempts, uh, but not the way Grab had been doing or not the way a pure technology organization had been doing. Mm. Um, for them, designers were mostly pretty picture creators. You know, a, a business stakeholder would come and say that, hey, I'm running a campaign. Can you do, draw this for me? And similar was the story uh, on the engineering side. You know, somebody from business or somebody from editorial teams would come that, hey, can you build that portal for me? Do it this way, do it that way. And uh, project managers um, would go ahead and build that. And those project managers typically emerge from the uh, you know, the IT organization rather than uh, a technology engineering organization. So that felt like um, an opportunity that I might not get uh, by staying in technology organizations. Yes, those challenges also exist in large tech companies. Mm-hmm. I had seen uh, bottlenecks and mindset challenges in, um, in Adobe and Autodesk also, even in Grab. Uh, when we would debate, um, but to introduce new concepts to in, and instill them such that you become indispensable to that organization uh, to succeed was something that was beyond, uh, at that point in time, I thought I would probably not get this opportunity of change management, technology building, team building, um, and being able to convince the board of one of the national assets in Singapore, right? We were in, we are in the business of creating opinions and thought processes, uh, build, bringing facts out into public domain so that people of the region can stay informed. And I think that is a much greater mission uh, than I had imagined it to be. And that's why I decided, all right, mm. let's plunge back into it. Mm. So the interesting thing is you were talking about how you know by moving to sph you were literally going to be not just going up against a technological challenge but you'd also be going like sort of going against the grain 
in terms of now you're having to move everyone to a different mindset, right? Because traditionally, when you're very comfortable, things have been working, you know, you don't want right. to break what's not broke, fix what's not broken, right? And and that for you wasn't wasn't a red flag. That for you was like, oh, I want that challenge. Because most yeah. people tend to be the other way around, right? It's like, oh wow, this is gonna be huge. Actually, that's the beauty of having spent time in a in a startup where problems start become stop becoming intimidating. Problems mm. start becoming as, hey, I have so much to do. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much opportunity to 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 do something. I mean, when there are no problems to solve, it's it'll be such a dull life. <laughs> mm, yeah, interesting. And and I believe that uh, also as uh, sorry, maybe maybe I should ask you as a question instead. So. As your role in, in SPH, what is your remit? Like, I believe you're not just taking care of the print business, uh, but also in charge of the digital incubation teams and things like that, right? So maybe you I'm can explain only, a bit more. Yeah, I'm only taking care of the digital part. I don't take care of the print part uh, yeah. at all. So mm. as the chief product officer, my remit is entirely digital. Mm. And uh, getting subscription growth as one of the objectives and also advertising revenue growth. Um, so the first thing I did was to set up top level business metrics, uh, from a product point of view. Yeah. Um, and leading indicators. That's right. Uh, leading indicators and also, um, getting people used to looking at lagging indicators also, you know, um, what ends up happening in a monopoly business, um, is that people talk and become familiar with jargon. Like they would say data, 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 data. They would say analytics, analytics, analytics. But what to do with it? I mean, even if big TV screens are are in your um, uh, office rooms and numbers are flashing and charts are flashing, um, is that what being data-centric all about, having TV screens? The real meaning of putting up those analytics data in front of you is so that you can look at it and draw inferences. Now that has to be taught by practice in some of the live projects that you're working on. Um, one could bring in trainers and, uh, and you know, external organizations to teach you how to, um, how, how to, how to leverage data, but mm. they would come and go. It's up to the organization then, the employees then, to apply those concepts and learnings into their daily lives. Um, and I think that needed, that intellectual rigor was needed, which I was trying and building um, in my early days. I knew that people knew everything. People. Okay, folks, uh, we're back. I'm so sorry. We had a bit of a glitch in the recording, uh, but thankfully uh, we're all back now. Uh, so Gaurav, um, you were just saying that, you know, when you came to SPH, you were dealing with people who knew everything. So yeah, let, let's pick it up from there. Yeah, people knew terms because they had been exposed to these terms. It's not that you know, digital transformation journey ha was happening for the first time when I came into the organization. But you know, the real meaning and behind those, uh, behind that jargon and how to execute on it is what was one of the biggest challenges. And that's what I started about. The goals were pretty simple: build intellectual rigor, get people to use data, um, to and draw inferences, teach them. So a lot of my work began by coaching. Um, and teaching them how to do. Uh, and when they saw that, you know, the CPO is on the ground working with, you know, his sleeves folded, writing specs, 
solving business cases on the whiteboard with them um and you know really being part of them is probably one of the early successes that's 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 why people began listening to me you know, mm. and saying that hey who is this new guy who thinks he's from grab and therefore can tell us how to do the job that we've been doing for the last 40 years or so mm. um and for me personally i think it was more humbling to be able to do that um it also meant that my tolerance levels went up dramatically um it also meant that if i had if i had to if i had to do a deck on what product management and design is i had to do it 200 times and every time i had to do it with the same enthusiasm and same gusto as i did it for the first time uh, i needed to make sure that the jokes that i'm cracking in that presentation are still funny <laughs> and that i am enjoying those jokes during those presentations um, um, and 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 that was it and my training at grab actually helped me a lot one thing that we truly believed uh, in grab was number one your problem is my problem it's not that you know I, if i have sent an if i'm blocked on something and i've sent an email now my job is done it is also my job to make sure that i follow up and get my stuff done so mm. uh, and make the other person on the uh, dependent dependent team realize that hey you know some something is blocked and the business is stalled so your problem is my problem is one key thing that everybody believed in and yes. the second thing uh, that we believed as a mantra in the growth team is that if there is a wall that you hit no matter what you do if you have to cross the wall whether you go around it bazooka it build a tunnel underneath underneath it you go on top of it whatever you do you find a way to get through that wall um and i think that that training um by setting up the growth team at grab really helped me in in forever staying optimistic and forever staying enthusiastic when people uh, didn't 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 understand what i was telling them hmm. um or um didn't want to understand what i was telling them um and still going ahead um and and making a difference it also meant hiring a lot uh for good people good talent um that's how i started um get start started bringing product hunt um into sph just to you know send out feelers in the larger product community within singapore that hey there is stuff going on at sph as well and you know that's how we met in one, one of the mind the product conferences <laughs> yes yes yeah i remember um, that yeah so uh, there was there was the when i was in office i was doing skunk work with uh, people who showed the spark of being product managers and grooming them into being product managers and outside i was trying to recruit product managers yeah. at the board level and at senior editors level i was trying to convince them why you should listen to us um yeah. and how we can make a difference and by in order to do that um we really had to show them results right and um, and that's how this all, all that all the all that journey happened nice nice all right so here's here's the question time right so you talked about how you came into to sph and a lot to do with mindset uh, and i think the situation or scenario that you described is actually very similar to what other people are doing i think the scale is different 
Um, but I think it's really, you know, when you're coming in, especially as a leader, you're no longer just a product manager, right? Where your product, your team is your product, basically. Um, and, and you talked about having to roll up your sleeves and talk to people. So question here is, as a product leader who now manages a team, what, what would you recommend people do first? Do you recommend that you sort out the house? Uh, and by that, I mean, you do the talking to all the stakeholders, or do you solve problems by yourself by, you know, like, you know, so let me put the example here. Um, you've got a team of like, you know, five product managers who are new. They don't know, they don't know the ropes yet. So do you like initiate on their behalf and then let them tag along or do you mentor them and then let them lead the way, right? Because I think these two, you know, there are debates around both ways, but I'm curious to know how you did it and what you thought worked for you. Right. I think um, the the question hidden in there, Colin, is uh, or the answer to that question has hidden in it your leadership style. Um, and my leadership style is very coaching based. Um, so the way I did it, and it, there is no right or wrong way of doing it, the way I did it Agreed. is that I made sure that, um, first of all, I build a rapport with the stakeholders. Mm. Um, and if they believe in uh, me, then it's easier for me um, to get them to believe in my team. Um, and it depends upon them. It, it, it also depends upon the majority level of the product manager in my team. So for um, for the very young ones, you know, who had been in product for about a year or were just venturing into a product, I would accompany them. And during my one-on-ones, you know, we would solve problems together um, where I would nudge them, coach them, teach them how to think differently from their normal way of thinking. Um, if they were more senior product managers, then if I have built confidence uh, with them, then I would just let them be. I'm not an interfering guy. Mm. Um, but I would make sure that I make the introductions to um, to 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 the larger team of stakeholders, and I would make sure that I continue to check in with them um, uh, frequently. When my team had scaled to about twenty, it slightly became untenable because I can't have I couldn't have so many one on ones um, and still be productive at my work. So then, how do you uh, how do you plan your time? Uh, such that you still keep in touch with what's going on with the PMs and are making sure that you're reviewing their work um, and giving them guidance. It becomes it becomes more of coaching rather than doing things on your own. Yes, there yeah. are there, there will be times where you will brainstorm solutions and, um, and, 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 and you know you would prioritize solutions together more as a coaching method, co-learning method, rather than me wanting to go and do their stuff for them. Yeah. And then I leave it up to them to execute. But I, it's really important that when you take, when you step away from um, uh, from from dealing directly with your engineering teams, um, you make sure that the quality of work doesn't suffer. You set uh, metrics and goals for your teams. Um, we, 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 we tried many things. Some teams which were extremely agile, we set up OKRs for them. And there were some teams which were still still grappling with uh, agile and waterfall. Hmm. Um, so we let them follow what was comfortable to them um, and get into the groove of working like a squad together. 
And once they started working like a squad together, we then started introducing processes. Mm. Um, and, 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 and so that's really that. Um, there, there were a few there were a few PMs who needed more help compared to others. And in those cases, you know, we would set up war rooms where I would also come. And in those war rooms, you know, engineer, engineer, engineering manager would be there, engineer, engineers would be there, I would be there, that my product manager would be there. And we would together solve problems. If it meant that, you know, there's a release going to happen in like two weeks time, and I was not happy with the quality of the output uh, so far based on the demo builds that I have seen so far. Um, we would get into that war room and we would solve issues and, you know, I would help them prioritize. Many times you see that many, many times what happens is that teams are not able to figure out what is more important than the other. Mm. Um, and in, in those situations, if you are there as a decision maker and as a friend, you make yourself vulnerable that, Hey, I'm, I'm as much at, uh, at stake as you are. Um, and you break that barrier of, hey, you're sitting with the chief product officer of the organization, it becomes easy. Mm. Um, and, I, that, and, and that has to be done and practiced right from the beginning. If, if you just show up, you know, once in two weeks or three weeks in that war room, then, no, then everybody will be fearful. Mm. But if you are with the team on the ground, sitting with them, um, you know, going out for beer, going for lunches together with the team, it helps break that barrier. It helps make your team structure very flat. Um, mm. It empowers people to ask difficult questions um, 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 to the senior, to the most senior most person in the organization. I think that's what makes the organization tick. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. I think um, you know, building trust, being there. Um, those were right. the two things that I think were, were important coming out of what you were seeing, right? Um, and also, given your leadership styles, you know, you may want to do things differently. But yeah, always good to know what you did in reality. So that that's the main crux of the question, knowing how Gaurav did it at SPH, right? Um, so then the next question is, so when you came on board, the, the mindset changed and you were saying a, a lot of it had to do with, with data, right? Like, so what did, or how, uh, maybe not what, I think the how is more important of how did you decide on where you would want to get the quick wins and where did you want to really get into the weeds to solve the big problem? Because I would, I would imagine that you coming on board as the CPO would have been like, you know, a lot of still massive dependency on the physical print side of things to generate revenue. And your goal you would have been to move this more to the digital side. So like, how did you do it? And like, what did you do? Sure. So the engineering teams existed in SPH when I came in. Mm. It's just that the product function and design function was not there. So people were used to working with engineers, but, you know, they had their own ways. Like engineers would come and complain to me that you know, ad hoc, so many things come from our editors or from business teams. And when we try and tell them that, no, we can't do it, uh, then there's a tussle and there's a breakage in the or kink in the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, so the first most essential thing for me was to you know build this understanding um, and empathy between engineers for the demands of the editorial business 
and in the editorial and business teams empathy for how engineers work um and you know usually it is not that people are people by themselves are adversary adversarial in nature you are they they are not enemies we are all humans at the end of the day it's the lack of familiarity so um identifying the issue that is uh, that is that, that is making them push back onto you is really important a simple example was this where you know they didn't know how engineers function they an engineer didn't know how editors function and just bringing familiarity brought them closer second thing was um for me to execute and bring in a different mindset i had to show things by example by doing mm. things um and i had to do that quickly to get the quick wins like you mentioned so there were two there were two strategies i deployed one was um run small experiments and then show instant results and small experiments would give you results in two weeks to three weeks time and the second was look for teams which are hungry for change and spg is a very large organization there are four different newsrooms um uh, straits times business times chinese newsrooms and tamil newsroom and malay newsroom actually five different newsrooms um so i started by, uh, the time that i spent with each of those stakeholders i was trying to gauge who is hungry who can i work with to deliver that first outcome such that people can turn their heads so one of the first few experiments i ran was with chinese media group uh, which was about their newsletter uh, readership rates um and i was sitting in a uh, you know a meeting where a new newsletter had been launched and people were assessing the results what were the email open rates um and when they saw that you know email open rates had actually declined the solution that everybody jumped to was let's write more content and i was like ah, if if your email rates are down the solution why how is the solution write more content because you people have not even read the content you put out in those newsletters so uh, then i introduced to them uh, the concept of ab testing i introduced the concept of hey let's tackle the problem at hand which is why don't people why are people not opening your emails are you sending them at a time which at which they are very busy mm-hmm. is your email getting uh, buried under spam um are you uh, is is your subject line not attractive enough and when they started seeing that you know there are structured there's a structured way of thinking towards solving problem before we jump into writing more content because that's what journalists do right they yeah. their job is to write more content um um they they jumped on to the ideas i was giving them however the concern was that if we send say for example reminder emails during the day their uh, the the subscribers of newsletters would churn away so i told them that hey you know we'll run the experiment for two weeks and during those two weeks here is how we will use data we will keep monitoring your churn rate um every day and the day your churn our churn rate in the experiment becomes greater than your natural churn rate we will stop the experiment mm-hmm. and during the two weeks of running that experiment the churn rate actually reduced readership increased by 40% and then it became a mainstay and that 
that's how the Chinese media group then started believing in the approaches that we are that we were taking. And similar strategies I applied um, with the you know low hanging fruit with hungry mm. people who wanted to make a difference, which are always there in an organization. Um, I began working with those editors, and we created. Uh, um value in in those newsrooms that really was the simple simple strategy show them experimentation and find out people who are willing to make a change with you mm-hmm. yeah i think that's that's again you know great great example of how you don't take too much um but work with what you have and you know take the advantages take advantage of the situations that favor you um, so yeah, I think that was really, really good. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, so the uh, other question that I sort of got a half answer from you, but I wanted to dive a bit more in was, um, so you were talking about the five main newsrooms, um, but I believe SPH also has a digital innovation arm. Um, do you right. handle that as well? We used to have a digital innovation arm. Okay. Uh, long ago. Okay. Um, and uh, they were, I, I didn't, so digital innovation arm was mostly looking at uh, startups yeah. and ventures uh, that were interesting enough mm. for us to invest in. Um, and if there is synergy, then try and incorporate it within our products. I see. So I was not directly looking into uh, the digit, the running of the digital arm, but some mm. of the startups uh, that the digital arm was working with. Um, I was instrumental in conversations. So SG Kamart, uh, Fast Jobs, I know all of those folks very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's handshakes, Chop. For those who don't know, Chop is was actually an SPH subsidiary, um, and uh, so on and so forth. So how we could leverage some of the work that these small startups are doing and incorporate them into our products was where I interacted with that group. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, cause, cause my question was going to be like, how do you, so it's one of the things that I think um, at somebody at your level, right, where you're managing, you know, different teams, different offerings is always the question of how do you, you know, a, I, I, you know, some people call it different names, right? Some people multitask or, you know, context yeah. switch. Um, and, and what do you do to make sure that you can handle all of these context switches? Right. Um, different people have different ways of dealing with uh, stresses and also context switches. Sure. My, my way of dealing with stress and context switches is that I make sure that um, when I enter a meeting, I enter that meeting prepared. And all the other baggage that I'm carrying um, uh, from the other meetings of other conflicting uh, products, I leave outside of that meeting. So when I'm in a meeting or in a discussion about a product, I make sure, I try to make sure that I'm 100% focused only on that product. Uh, that doesn't mean that if uh, there is, you know, there are, there are interactions with other uh, um, adjacent products, I keep my eyes closed to them because that would not, that would not be prudent because we are growing, growing the business. But if there's a problem at hand for a particular product, we focus only on that. It's easier said than done. Mm. Uh, and uh, I have I've had long hours and long meetings. Um, I used to miss 
um, having a good coffee shop around because that used to be my way of breaking myself from the routine. So I would typically just go out, grab a cup of coffee, and you know, go change the scenery and come back and then plunge myself into the context switch. Interestingly, SPH had a very beautiful terrace mm. um, where the gardeners had done a great job of landscaping. So I would, you know, quite often just go to the terrace, take a walk and come back. That's how I dealt with context switching. Um, also, um, you know, I have my own interests in music and art. Um, for instance, not many people know that for the last, until COVID happened, um, seven to 10 years before that, I have watched a movie in a theater every Friday um, as a means of catharsis. Mm-hmm. And I start my Friday, um, no matter what time I end, if my work finishes at 11 in the night, then I still make sure that I have, you know, I have some, some, some enjoyment on Friday itself so that my weekend seems longer because Sunday afternoon work would start coming back into my head. Um, and um, so, you know, this is, this is one, another way of dealing with context switches and stresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, other is and and the third one is you know really make your team your friend um you know um i would frequently go out to nearby uh, you know bars with um with with my team or with engineers or with other stakeholders or whoever was available and we would discuss about our stresses in office and you know every time you would figure out that you're not alone <laughs> right and it works both ways because if i am a senior guy then the then you know my my younger uh, colleagues realize that hey he's going through the same problems as we do so you make um, you become um, vulnerable and um, and and at the same time you realize that i'm not the only one who's feeling this way and now that i'm a senior guy i can't complain i'm the one who has the mandate to solve these problems or get these problems solved so Connecting on the ground uh, also is, a, you know, a way of catharsis. Also, is a way of uh, context switching easily and keeping your stresses aside. Interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely agree about the part where you know you you sort of take a break. I used to do that as well. Like you know, just go down to 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 wherever there's a there's a coffee shop. You get a coffee, just sit down there and you know, pretty much stone up for for a bit. You know, just to like. It's like, okay, I need to relax. Uh, but the interesting part for you was to say that, you know, like speaking to the teams was a was a way of catharsis for you. So that that is that is quite different from what I've, you know, speak spoken to to other people. So that is interesting. So one the the I think the story there is that I believe that when you are blocked on a problem, solving somebody else's problem, which is a different problem opens up new perspectives <laughs> ah, so, so okay that's that's a very different way yeah. of thinking okay okay so when, when i'm stuck on something i try and look for okay who else has some problem let me try to solve their problem and it takes my mind off completely from the yeah. issue that i am at and when i come back to the problem i'm supposed to solve i have a different lens now I see. Okay. Okay. Well, so that's that's a really interesting nugget, right? Like, you know, if you're having a problem that you can't solve, maybe you should go look for some other problem to solve and then come back to, to yours. Distraction. Uh, you are distracted. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. Um, all right. So let, let's go to uh, another question that I mentioned early on that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, how did you handle COVID, right? Because um, I believe that during COVID, it was actually the first time that SPH sort of went into the red um, as well. Um, so like, how did that impact your role, your, the, the product organization within SPH? And, you know, was there anything that you did differently that you learned uh, during this time as well? Right, right. Very good question. I think for the impact for the product team as well as the engineering team was lesser because um, many of us had come from organizations um, which were operating in a model of a multi-geography uh, interaction. So at some point or the other, we had done video calls, we had done uh, remote sessions, we had done remote uh, backlog roomings and scrum meetings. We, we At some point in time, each and every one of us had done that. So uh, for the product and the engineering team to operate remotely, only um, using Zoom calls was sort of easier. What was more difficult was for getting the newsrooms accustomed to a way of working, um, which is not in C2. So news breaks and that's where the journalist has to be for him to be able to, um, you know, um, send out the facts. Yeah, send out the facts and 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 write and write down something. Similarly, for the business teams um, who were always on the ground um, and had not been accustomed to added to added to it the fact that SPH was on a digital transformation journey and people were not accustomed to video calls and so on and so forth. Um, so it was a larger challenge managing stakeholders and getting them on board than doing product per se. Uh, or building technology per se. So those um, getting ground rules set up for uh, video calling, making sure that uh, equipment was there in every uh, conference room, which are things that we take for granted many times, um, you know, as product and tech people when we come from different organizations. Um, those, those things could not be taken for granted. So setting up processes, making sure that your teams are comfortable so frequently checking in like I used to send surprise gifts to my teams even though they were small chocolates not not something very fancy but just to make sure that we are all well and we are all connected um, and that we are all in the same boat uh, was was how SPH handled it um, also that we are a media company um, many things we get to know first right and and so uh, we 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 had to react faster compared to the rest of uh, the organizations. Also, the fact that we are frontliners, uh, yeah. journalists were uh, in the frontliner category. Um, so some 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 so we had to come to a model where we still had to allow people to be in office. Some people to be in office, but mm. those who could work from home, had to work from home. And um, different newsrooms tried different techniques like rotating yeah. journalists. Um, and um, we even uh, shipped machines, uh, desktop machines to people's houses um, so that they can work from there and the work doesn't stop. Of course, there was some slowdown in productivity, 
Mm. Um, but you know, it was all over. Our, our way of managing uh, COVID was not dramatically different from how other frontline companies uh, managed. And like I said, um, particularly to our team, uh, the product and technology team, the impact is mostly uh, stakeholder. When it comes down to working on ourselves or on our on our work. Uh, nothing got derailed. We were still shipping, and we were still shipping on time. I see. Okay. Okay. But in terms of like dealing with COVID as well, was there a bigger pressure? Was there a bigger pressure on the digital side of things to deliver more? Right. Um. Or was that also not not really an impact? So, I think people were very empathetic. So, um, and the leadership team refrained from adding any additional pressure. Um, um, and, and, and the fact that good leadership uh, also lends your teams to take responsibility on their own. If, so even if delays happened, we were okay with it um, because we knew that it is a difficult working environment. And I think that is what gives confidence to employees also because you know, now you're working in an environment where you have kids around and you have noise levels are high. Um, and um, the, you have to get involved. The, 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 the distinction between uh, work and life begins to disintegrate. Yes. Um, and I think that understanding was demonstrated heavily by SPH leadership. SPH leadership is very empathetic. Uh, we are in the business of uh, empathy. Um, and, uh, I, and I think that's where it worked out really well. Um, the only the only the only hiccup i think was when some of our uh, employees some of our co-workers uh, had to return to their uh, countries like some mm. had to return to malaysia yeah. to india or to china um for some emergency that they couldn't avoid um and the border restrictions um forbid or stopped them from entering back into singapore especially if you were on employment passes yeah. I think that was a bigger struggle where we had to make sure that, you know, legally uh, we are complying with labor laws of each country, Singapore and that country, and making sure that um, they are comforted mm. outside in their own country that, you know, we are here, we are taking care of you, don't worry. Okay, very nice, very nice. Okay, um, thank you so much. And, you know, again, I, I think there's so much more. Maybe I should, as I tell all my guests, um, maybe I should get you back for like a part two because there's just so many things I, I still have. You know, just hearing you speak, I want to, you know, go into more. Um, but I think we need to leave this for a next time. Um, so, yeah, now we, we need to go to the last part. Um, and again, I alluded to this in the beginning where, um, you know, I was saying that uh, Gaurav is actually quite the rocker himself. Um, so we go into the song that you chose um, and uh, you chose uh, Guns and Roses, um, Sweet Child of Mine. Um, so that that link is going to be up um, here. And yeah, I just wanted to ask you, you know, uh, Gaurav, why, why did you choose that song? Um, it was that song that made me realize that I could do rock. Until then, I was <laughs> until un, until then I was doing Bollywood. Uh, I was singing Bollywood, and I was you know uh, singing Simon and Garfunkel and Beatles. Um, and Sweet Child of Mine made me realize a different aspect of me that I had not discovered. It was a latent talent. 
um and that started my journey into uh, rock songs and then i did post that i did guns and roses the purple um scorpions and I, and i also realized that you know my voice could match their pitches e- uh, eagles um all of those um yeah. classics so that's why it's, it's it it brings me back to my roots uh, it keeps me grounded um and i think that is what is essential in, in life um whether you are a product manager or not just stay grounded stay humble and that's it yeah very nice so um i'll put a link as well to one of uh, gara's performances uh, which which he shared with me um he, i got to say you know he'll give exo rose a run for his money that that's pretty pretty awesome there so very nice um so gara thank you so much for for being on the show um and also you know just being very candid um, about how things were happening you know how you traverse through your role from getting into product to being a product um leader um so the last part would be you know do you have anything that you would like to leave with our uh, listeners and and viewers as well you know any advice um for the product folk who are listening in my only advice is never stop connecting with your users um for some of us users would be very apparent and you could set up meetings with them and for many of us our users would be invisible so find out of the box ways of connecting like i tell my product managers publication product managers that the person sitting next to you in the bus or in the train is your potential user so get into the habit develop get get into the habit of cold calling leave your inhibitions and you would find that people in general in the world are very helpful and um just never lose that connection with your with your customers and keep talking to them um, as and when you get a chance perfect perfect uh so thanks to to garaf again so garaf is uh the chief product officer of sph media um that's the guest that's been on the show in case you were wondering who's that guy speaking um and yeah i think it's always very enlightening to listen to leaders within the space um talk about what they do and who knows maybe i, I will try and get garaf again for round 2 the next time uh, next time you are in singapore uh, next time you are in in singapore i will catch you at sph office nice <laughs> all right <laughs> so thank you all very much you have a good day and again you know as uh, singapore malaysia um and other countries in southeast asia um begin to open up a little bit more uh, do continue to stay safe um and also at the same time you know go and meet friends that you've not met in a long time you know have that cup of coffee with someone you haven't met in 2 years um and hopefully you know we'll all come out on the other side safer and stronger as well have a good day and bye bye